You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. All right, Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your goodness and your loving kindness. We thank you for the, the work of Jesus and the security that we have in our identity in Christ. And thank you for all you did to, to, to provide that for us through the cross, through your life. And, and so I pray now that you would um, that you'd bless us. I pray that you'd give us a sense of peace, rest, and freedom in Christ. I pray you'd also give us wisdom and give us tools um, just to, to speak that word of life, that word of the righteousness of God that comes by grace to our kids. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's start out. We're going to get personal to begin with. This is going to be fun, all right? So start out here. I want to know, you know, we all kind of have different personas, different identities that you may have had when you were growing up, you know, middle school, high school. You might have had, you know, like a fashion experiment for a phase. You may have had a phase, you know, we all, all had phases. And so first off, I would love to hear from the crowd here for some people to share. What identity did you aspire to? What did you want to be, you know, your identity to be when you were in school. Like when I was in middle school, I really wanted to be cool. I very much wanted to be cool. And, uh, I, but I, that, that, you know, those dreams died fast, real fast, <laughs> real, real fast. Um, and then I think I, I think I aspired to be like just the dude who had it all together. I think that was, you know, successful, you know, respected that kind of thing. So that, that, that would be, that would be me. Who else? Who wants to throw a little skin in the game here? Howie. Well, first of all, I thought you were cool in middle school. <laughs> Faked you out. Uh, I would say athlete. Mm. Love it. Who else? I would say cool, but I was not at all. I don't buy that. I don't buy that. <laughs> I'd say white. Didn't matter how. Yes, yes, love it. I mean, whether it's athlete, you know, how you dress, whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Love it. Good, good, good. All right, so now we're going to go, we're going to go to the, uh, go to the next level here. What were some measures that you took, some things that you did to try to realize that aspired identity? I would say I definitely, in middle school, I wanted to, um, I definitely wanted to sit at the cool table. I, I like, you know, I, I would, I would kind of think, I want to sit at the cool table. That was, that was seventh grade. Again, that season died pretty fast, but that was something I would do. And I would study and like work neurotically because I wanted to have like the best grades, the best SAT, because then, then the identity was the guy who has it all together. So those are some measures that I took. Anybody else here? That's called the counterproductive measures. Because I, I, well, I wanted to be liked as well, and I wanted to be known. I mean, when you want to be liked in general, that's a lot. Because you want to be really smart, yeah. really popular, really cool. And so I, I sort of did everything to show everybody that I was all of those things. It went swimmingly. <laughs> <laughs> I nailed it. Nailed it. it worked out now, though, because you're very cool now. Very cool. Nobody really knows if would agree with you. Yeah, totally. 
Anybody else? Any any uh, any other measures anybody took? Yeah, that's totally, totally, totally. Um, good stuff. Okay, so there you have it. So, you know, in talking about identity, like, it's good to kind of maybe try to define what we're talking about. Because that's a word that's thrown around a lot, but we don't necessarily think about the fundamentals of what it means. And um, I'm so tempted, I'm so tempted to tell the I thought I was cool at Wake Forest story and then the rehearsal dinner. I gotta tell the story, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're having fun. Sorry. So I so I went to Wake Forest. And at Wake Forest, I was like, I was cool. I was legitimately cool. And I was like, well, the reason that I was cool there is because I'm cool, right? And I'm cool. <laughs> so then we have my my uh, rehearsal dinner. And you know, I have like my Wake Forest friends, and then I have like my legitimate Mountain Brook cool frat daddy friends, you know. And, and my frat daddy friends from high school, they were like, man, your friends from Wake are the biggest dorks I have ever met in my life. And I was like, what? I was just like, I mean, it was like an affront. I mean, it was so offensive. I was like, what are you talking about? These were like the coolest guys on campus. And then I go to my wife. Lauren, and Lauren is like the sweetest person in the world, like literally never says a bad thing about anyone. And so I go to Lauren with my outrage. And I'm like, Lauren, can you believe my friends from high school said that my friends from Wake were dorky? And she's like, oh, honey, are you being serious? <laughs> she's like, sweetheart, those are like the dorkiest people I've ever met in my life. Work, 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 work. You're just cool because you're the coolest amongst a lot of dorks. Anyhow, so anyhow, uh, it's all relative, right? It's all relative. Okay, so um, so anyhow, but I don't drive a minivan. Still hanging on to that. Isn't that right, Menendez? Emily Menendez, yeah. Still cool. Still cool. Anyhow, all right. So back to identity. Let's actually do something constructive for the sake of the kingdom. Um, all right. So definition of identity. So. I think some of the components of this, it's an elusive thing. It's kind of a hard thing to define. It's like a word that is, it's, the culture is kind of obsessed with. It's a very, very much like something that is more important in, in modernity than it was, say, in the ancient world. But it has to do with the fact, that, uh, these are different definitions that I pulled from different sources. The fact of being who or what a person or thing is. Um, the qualities or characteristics that distinguish the individuality of a person. And I say we have an innate need to have an identity. It seems to validate our worth and lovability as a person. And so there is, we do kind of have this need to be, to be named um, and for our individuality to be seen in a way that validates our worth. And so for a kid, uh, when a kid enters into um, adolescence, um, they start developmentally. The big developmental question is, um, who am I and, and what group do I belong? Makes, if you understand that, middle school makes a whole lot of sense, right? Because in middle school, there's all of this kind of, you're trying to find your thing and trying to find your place and trying to find your group. And no one really ever graduates from middle school. Let's just call a spade a spade. Uh, if you understand the social dynamics of middle school, you understand life. Um, but anyhow, so with that being said, uh, when you get into pre-adolescence and adolescence, this kind of consideration of and pursuit of identity becomes very, very important to a child. And so what we're going to look at is we're going to look at this dichotomy um, between the opposition of identity in the law or identity in the flesh versus identity in the gospel. 
identity in the law, identity in the gospel. And so when we're talking about identity in the flesh, that is an internal identity that we self-generate. Um, we, gen- we generate that through performance or through self-definition. And you know, this, is, this is the identity that we try to cultivate out of our sin, out of our desire to be our own God and to be our own Savior. And so you know, we, we can only really have true identity. It's something that's conferred upon us. It's given to us by the Lord. Um, but in our sin, because we want to be God, we want to be our own Savior, we naturally want to cultivate and define our own identity. We feel a compulsion to create it. Now, identity in the gospel is external. It comes from an external source. It doesn't come from within. It comes from God, and it doesn't come through performance. Um, it come, it's imputed on us. It, we are named. It is given to us um, through Christ. And so, um, and so, with that being said, I, I think we're going to look at this dialectic. We're going to focus on um, Galatians chapter 2, uh, verses 20 through 21. And um, I'm going to read that. It's on the back of your sheet. I forgot to put Galatians 2. My bad. It's on the back under gospel. I'm just going to read that text before we get into identity, um, identity in the flesh. But uh, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So we're going to explicate that in a second. But first, let's talk about identity that comes through the flesh. All right, so keeping in mind, again, we identity in the flesh, out of our sin, we feel the need to produce it, we feel the need to define it. And so there are different ways that we go about that, uh, but particularly, you know, the ways that our kids do that. So one way is through group affiliation. So, you know, you might be, um, you know, think about being a fan. It's funny. Why, why is it that you can get so mad if someone says something disparaging about your team? Like, well, what are you talking about? You know, we're going to be really good in football this year. Well, it's because you have, you, you've, you have had this false affiliation of your identity with that team. Um, you know, that's why we put stickers on and we wear the apparel and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we, we, you know, glean some identity with that. Um, through teams, could be, you know, through choir or sports or whatever, like I'm a football player, you know, or I'm a gymnast or I'm a, you know, I'm a Dorian or I'm a Spangles girl or whatever it may be. Um, <clears throat> political groups, you know, uh, a lot of people wrap their identity around, you know, being a libertarian or a Republican or a Democrat or you know, very conservative, or very liberal, or whatever it may be, and so, um, and so, anyhow, that that's you know that's one means. Another means, and, and you see that with kids, you know, in terms of they want to make a certain team. Some of that's for belonging, and some of that is because of the validation of I'm a cheerleader. You know, there's some cachet with being a cheerleader, right? And so, so, so there's that. All right. So then, second is through performance or competence. You know, like I'm really smart. I make good grades. Or, um, oh, oh, okay, got it, great, thanks. Uh-oh. <laughs> what property did a child of mine destroy? Um, so um, you know, or I'm like, I'm, I'm awesome on the guitar or whatever. So you know, so sometimes we try, they try to generate, uh, we and kids try to generate um, identity through competence, being really good at something, uh, and then you know, in in modernity, 
we also can glean identity through like feelings and desires. And I'll get to that in a second. But so something really interesting, uh, a book that I read, it's called, the, the, book, the book's a terrible title because the book is so good for parents. But the title is um, The End of Youth Ministry. It's a, it's a guy named Andrew Root who studies youth culture. He studies youth ministry. And um, he wrote this book and he uh, basically... Um, he basically is kind of looking at why is it that like youth ministry participation is less significant to families um, today than it was 20 years ago. And so one trend that he identifies in, in his study is um, he looks at how um, parents see as a central thing, a uh, central part of their job is to help their child find their thing. He uses that term. He says in the research that their thing was like used over and over and over again, like as if it were an actual, you know, word, and I, I like a, like a technical term. But basically what he said is that um, the parents, you know, whether it's something in sports or something in choir or whatever, um, he said that par- parents seem to dedicate an inordinate amount of time and money and attention to helping a child find their thing which you know, usually is an activity, through some kind of activity or whatnot. The thing that's interesting is what he identified is it took on a level beyond um, you know, like character development and a place of belonging. Because you know, I think that uh, certain, certain you know, activities that we encourage for our children are really, really valuable in terms of um, you know, they have a group of belonging and friends, but then also, too, in terms of like character formation. Like it's... Uh, that's how we say that running cross country for one year is the best thing I ever did that I would never do again. Uh, but it was so freaking hard, uh, you know, running like seven miles on Monday and then doing these intervals and it was so, so hard. And then the misery, anybody else run cross country? I mean, dude, I got to tell you, like you run a race and it is like, you know, 14, 15, 20, 25 minutes, whatever it is of just like constant misery. It's so hard. It is. Oh, I hated the meats, but it was so good for me. It was so good for me to have to do a hard thing like that. So, he, but, so, so all that to say, like, activities aren't inherently bad. Like, they are really valuable in terms of kids developing character, having a place of belonging, having community and friendships, having other positive role models outside their house. But what he found is he felt like what was going on was that parents saw this as identity formation. Like, the thing, I need to help my child find that thing is they felt like their child um, needed uh, an activity or a competence or a group to solidify their identity. Um, and that's why it took on such ultimate stakes for the parents. So here's some quotes from this book. Um, so he says, uh, Root declares that finding their thing is considered a very, a very high good, a sumum bonum. He says he talks about, quote, finding their thing as a critical value for parents. Thing means the thing they enjoy, thrive in, work hard in, and serves as a vehicle for identity formation and happiness. Um, he goes on, he says, the highest good is to be authentic. Okay, so then he talks to you about this, um, about the complex of identity formation being something that is internal, um, that, the, that the child kind of defines for themselves, and that the parent has a role to almost be like a facilitator as the child comes to this place of self-discovery and identity. Um, and by the way, he is interviewing like church-going families. He, he, he interview, uh, is like, um, 
he, like one third of the, of the sample set was secular families, one third was people in kind of like progressive liberal situations, and the other third was people in evangelical situations. And so, um, so he said, the highest good is to be authentically yourself, feeling proud uh, to see him, this is me. Based on observation, based on observation, the parents' root interviews equate wasting your life as to live dishonestly with who you feel like you are. So again, you know, um, there's this uh, internal self-definition of identity. And the need, it's like, it's in there, and you've got to discover it and form it and create it. All right, so then he says, um, resources for discovering, quote, this is me, and therefore the impetus for broadcasting that discovery comes solely from within the young person. So this is what he heard from parents over and over again, was that a lot, you know, the thing of being associated with who you are, and it was totally in, internal, totally inward in terms of uh, the person. So he said, a bad parent opposes and restricts her child's unique way of feeling, and therefore living out, this is me. So he's using this term, this is me, it's like identity. So while parents can't... Um, so while parents can't impose head-on a child's self-definition, they can give him travel teams, computer clubs, and the best violin teacher in the state. But this will only work to impact identity if the young person is passionate about the thing, moving it from a hobby to a source of self-definition. So you can see that, that kind of like crossing of the line there. Um, all right, so moving on, back page here. Uh, so then he, he, and he kind of explains some of this as um, a factor in what he calls friendship parenting. By the way, Andrew Rude is not like a, he's not like a hyper-conservative person. Like he's probably in kind of a moderate guy. So I want to say this is not like a, you know, a right-winger who's just coming like and bashing things. He is, this, he's, he's really pretty objective in this. But anyhow, he says um, friendship parenting is present because the identity journey is now an anxious internal quest with vast options. Friendship has direct impact on the identity journey without ever threatening to be coercive, which in the end could corrupt the pursuit of happiness. So what he's saying is, in a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of friendship parenting, where a parent is not so much the authority and the leader, um, but more of like the buddy, he says that he explains some of that, and this is obviously not to be reductionistic here, but he explains some of that as to say that parents, a lot of parents see as like a, pri a primary function or role is like, um, is like, we, like I said earlier, to kind of come alongside the child and help the child you know, discover who they are. And, and it's almost more like a counselor or like a, a guru. Um, and so with that being said, for them to be an authority might infringe upon the self-discovery process for the child. And so that's why they kind of need to be at a parallel level. I know. So anyhow, you know, we can we can throw shade, but we fall. You know, I know I can feel these things in terms of, um, you know, feel some of these tendencies. Um, don't have a whole lot of problem on the authority side. Maybe a little too much. <laughs> anyhow, so um, so with that being said, uh, the the big issue here is is just a very very flawed understanding of how identity, uh, where identity comes from, and how it is generated, how it is received. And so, um, and I would say, like, uh, one kind of extreme example of this is uh, the, all the gender identity um, 
issues that are kind of out there today or realities that are out there today. Because if you think in that, this idea of, you know, I can define myself to the extent that I, you know, I might say that while I have, you know, in terms of sex, my biology, I'm male, I'm, I, you know, I'm female or I'm, you know, I'm bi-gender, I'm third gender, I'm gender fluid. I mean, there are like, I think there are over 70 terms now. That's kind of, a, that's kind of this self-definition to an extreme where um, even beyond physical reality, like I will define who I am. And so again, it's coming back to, it's not, it's, 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 it's fundamentally the same as me trying to define myself as a superstar athlete or a, a great student. It's internally generated and it's self-defined and it's based upon my performance. And the huge problem, the huge problem with um, when we operate out of an identity that's grounded in sin, the law, and the flesh is it's totally unstable. It's completely unstable. And, you know, it's like I can uh, have a, a mentor who was um, like all-century football player at Auburn, played in, the, uh, played in the NFL for, I think, seven or eight years, played in the Super Bowl, was an all-pro kick returner. And so he was, his name is Mike Fuller, great guy. And um, so when he was in San Diego, he retired, and he was in the grocery store. And somebody said to him, oh, you used to be Mike Fuller. <laughs> you know, and that just, you know, speaks to just kind of the unreliability of an identity that comes through, um, that, you know, that comes out of the flesh. And, um, and like, we all, I mean, we all feel this, you know, like, you might feel like your identity is like, I'm a great mom, um, or I'm a very present dad. And so if your mother-in-law or your mom um, says something critical, you get really, really defensive. You get really defensive, and you get hurt, and you get angry, probably maybe to a disproportionate, you know, disproportionate amount, because they're hitting on something that's ultimate, that, that you feel like you've created. And so, so much of like our anxiety, performance anxiety that we feel, and so much of our defensiveness, a lot of it is grounded in a false identity that we have constructed for ourselves. Um, and, um, and, then, uh, and then, you know, for our kids, the same thing is true. Like your child, your child you know, was on varsity um, as a, um, was, you know, on varsity as a ninth grader, and it looked like they were going to be a star, but you know, they peaked, they peaked as a, you know, as a golfer or a gymnast or whatever it is. And they, and they, and they're not the star anymore. And you can see this, like this sense of loss and this sense of despair and this, you know, sense of inadequacy because that identity that they had had is now lost. See, I was, this might surprise you. I was very, very tall as a kid. <laughs> I was, I was like literally almost five feet tall in kindergarten. And I was so tall that in fourth grade basketball, when you play on an eight and a half foot goal, I could grab the rim. I could grab the rim. So as a result of that, you know, when you are significantly taller than everybody else, you're, you're just naturally going to be a good basketball player. And so I only lost like two basketball games my first three years of basketball. Won the championship two of those three years. I would have like triple doubles as a fourth grader. No joke. Well, then there's the great equalizer that's called puberty. <laughs> and I just wasn't very good. I just, you know, I, I made the team in, in junior high, and I went from being like star to total bench warmer, total bench warmer. And, um, and I can remember just like 
uh, you know, seventh grade basketball, having a game where I played 20 seconds, 20 seconds and getting in the first few games, like of seventh grade, getting in the car and just like weeping to my mom, like, <laughs> because I, you know, that identity of like, I'm the superstar basketball player is like, not when you have a three inch vertical leap, you know? And so, but you know, and so we can see that, you know? You can see that. So there's that sense of loss, but there's also that pressure to maintain it, you know, of like, I'm known as the smart girl. I am known, you know, as the, the star. And so I've got to maintain that and that, and there's so much pressure and anxiety. So, and it's an everyday kind of thing. It's an everyday kind of thing. So good news, the gospel. So in the gospel, and what you see biblically is that identity is, is a gift, not earned, it's not internally generated, um, and it's one size fits all. I mean, we still have our, we still have our individuality, that's true. Um, but um, it is something that is conferred upon us. And so when we look at Galatians 2.20, um, you can see that identity, and, and this is not just in Galatians 2, in, in Galatians 2, this is, you know, throughout the New, excuse me, throughout the New Testament. But you can kind of see that identity in the gospel is grounded in the performance of Jesus. The performance of Jesus is attributed to us by grace through faith. And that identity, um, and, the, and that identity comes through the righteousness of God um, as a gift. And so Paul here, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so, you know, that sinful self, he is saying, um, has been essentially nullified through the cross. When he says, I have been crucified with Christ, not to get too, the- you know, not to get too theologically complicated, but basically, like, we were unified with Christ in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. Like, God identified us in the Christ event. Uh, you see that throughout Paul. You know, he says that, you know, that I was crucified with Christ, that I died with Christ, that I'm risen with Christ, even I've ascended with Christ. We are totally identified with Christ in that. So in a sense, like when, uh, you know, you might, let's say that you're watching your child uh, play a football game and you see your child and you're like, oh, look, he just, he just caught a screen pass. Oh, he made a move. Oh, he's running down the sideline. In a sense, like through imputation, God, when Christ is living the perfect life, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, he is personally identifying us in that. It's not just like, there's Jesus living perfectly. There's Jesus dying for sins. There's Jesus rising. It's there's Mary Bradley or there's Kelly or, you know, there's Charlie, there's Lauren, there's John Halsey. Like we are identified with Christ in his saving life and death. Um, and then that's, that's, that's chill bumps kind of stuff there. Um, and so he says, I no longer live. Now he's not saying that his individuality, like the way that he is made in the image of God uniquely for the glory of God, because every person is made uniquely for the glory of God. Um, he's not saying that that is nullified, but he is saying that his false self, that is, uh, associated with our failures and our sin, that that no longer lives. Um, but instead, we are identified uh, through the righteousness of Christ. Righteousness of Christ means that you're perfectly acceptable before God. 
And so he says, um, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So in that, you know, as in that, 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 you know, when he's saying, um, I live by faith, I mean, that, that covers, you know, the whole spectrum of life. But as it pertains to identity, it's like I'm no longer depending upon my performance for, or my definition to generate my identity. Like, I am trusting in the identity that Jesus has given me as a gift by grace. And so, um, and so with that being said, the, um, the good news is that that is a stable identity. That's a stable identity that cannot be damaged, cannot be taken away. It's permanent. And so when you have that, a sense of a stable, permanent identity, and it's a really good identity, it's an identity that you are perfectly acceptable before God, there is such a sense of comfort and such a, a sense of freedom. And it, it kind of alleviates so much of our performance pressure and so much of our defensiveness. Because if someone's like, oh man, you know, you, you're, you're, your house sure is dirty. And that's something that you would get really defensive about. You'd be like, yeah, yeah maybe it is. Yeah, like that. That is, that, that, that's a statement that's totally divorced from me. That has nothing to do with me. Who I am, my identity, is, has been conferred upon me through Christ. Um, and so, anyhow. So, as, um, as this relates to kids and parenting. And sorry, before I get into that, let me say this. I will say that for myself, every day, I have like this prayer that I do. Where I, like, I know kind of what my false identities are. I know the identity that I'm trying to maintain. And so I call, I, I, so I will, I'll, in prayer, I will name that. And then I'll go back and I'll say, all right, Jesus, Holy Spirit, help me to walk in the identity knowing that I am washed and clean, that I am forgiven and righteous, that I'm an adopted child of God. That's who I am. I don't need to live out of that. That's an everyday thing for me. Have to do that. Or else I go into performance mode and I go into prove myself mode. I go into bragger mode. I go into uh, defensive mode. And so with that being said, as, 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 we, as we relate that to our kids, it's very, very helpful for us to just constantly, like really on a daily basis, if, if, even if it's like just kind of like a liturgical thing in your house. Uh, so I talked to a, an excellent parent who may or may not be in this room. Uh, but she talked about how when she drives her, her children to school, um, that she always says, now, the key thing for you to know today is that you're enough. You're enough. And that's what the righteousness of God means, is that you're, you're enough. There's nothing you can add. There's nothing you can lose. You're enough. And, um, and that is very helpful. So one thing I would say is, um, in terms of practical, down at the bottom of the sheet, explain to your child how identity is received. It is not generated or created. It's a gift. It's a, it's a gift from God through Christ. And so, um, so that language you might use as you talk to your child about that is, your identity is in Christ. And, and um, your identity is in Christ, and, uh, and that's a gift. And that's permanent, and that's stable. You can't mess it up. You can't lose it. Um, second is to reject the world's notions of self-generated identity. Um, you know, there, there's a lots of kind of new agey. I mean, there is, there is something. There is something to understanding the person you are in terms of, like, how God uniquely made you. There is something to knowing who you are relative to your story, you know, understanding your life experiences and how that 
shapes your tendencies and you know the way you respond to things. Um, and there also is lots of like in, in, in movies and in books and all kinds of media, there is there is so much kind of like new agey, like I've got to discover who I am. And that, 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 that's, that's um, uh, kind of makes me want to take a shower. No, <laughs> no I'm just kidding. But I, but it, but it, is, but it is grounded in this like you know self discovery, self generation, internally formed um, identity, and that is that is a like endless journey of chasing the wind. You're not you're not ever going to find who you are. Like it's just a, you know in, in the world it's just so unstable. It's so um, it's just vacillating all the time, and so. So anyhow, so I, I would name that. Like when you see when you see that in, in media and whatnot, you'd be like, hey, look, like identity is given to us from God. Like that's a gift, and that's it's stable, it's permanent. Um, and then uh, you know, final thing is be careful to delineate that activities and endeavors are not identity formation; they are for character building and community. And so it's, I think it's really key. So uh, this is something that I mean. I think it's a, a really helpful thing to say over and over again to your child. It's like, you know, they've got a, they're, they, they are really into basketball or whatever, or they are really into school. To say like, hey, look, your performance on the basketball game, that's, that's not who you are. Like, who you are is a child of God. Like, who you are is one who's forgiven and righteous. That's who you are. This has nothing to do with who you are. And that is something that needs to be explicitly repeated over and over again. Um, because it is so natural for us to want to justify ourselves and create our own identity through performance. Um, and so constantly make that, um, help your child make that delineation so that they have that language to preach the gospel to themselves as they get older. Um, and so final thing, we have this, and y'all, what a, what a rock star I am. I totally forgot to put this on the sheet. But we have, um, you can find it on the Rooted website. I think you can find it on our website. But we have, um, you know, a lot of y'all are familiar with the gospel, the gospel catechism that we do. You know, um, a lot of us do that. Like when we put our kids to bed or when you drive our kids to school, we do it when we drop our kids off at school. You know, what's the good news? What does gospel mean, good news? What's the good news? You just die for my sins. Why did I die for your sins? So I can have a relationship with him. Who loves you the most? God. He loves you the second most? Mommy and daddy. What can you do by God's power and grace? Hard things. So that's kind of our gospel catechism. Well, we recommend, um, oh, and it's in the purple book too. You don't have the purple book. Uh, but in the purple book, we also have for like pre-adolescence and adolescence, we call the gospel identity catechism. And so, um, and so this is one that you can text your child or just remind your child of. Um, but who does, the, who does the Spirit say that you are? One who is washed and clean. Who does Jesus say you are? One who is forgiven and righteous. Who does the Father say that you are? An adopted child of God. Who are you? I'm a sinner saved by grace. And so that is just, again, um, just that reinforcement over and over again of an identity that comes from God, that's a gift from God, and that's grounded in what Jesus has done. And it's so, it's just so helpful. Um, it, it's helpful and it's necessary for us to remember that every day, but also to say that to our kids every day. So, two minutes for questions. Easy, you know, very simple topic. Easy questions, I'm sure. No, no complexity in this one. Yes, ma'am.
traffic move, they really want significance, and that's what adults want as well. You want to be remembered, you want to be significant. Mm -hmm. That's significance because you're the star player with the basketball team or whatever. And it talked about how we should focus on being equally inconsequential. Like, mm. like have Dang, language. Our people that think you're amazing. You know, even if that's your family, it doesn't have to be that you're the, everybody in high school thinks you're amazing. You know? Yeah. Yeah, First Thessalonians four, make make it your ambition to live a quiet life. Um, any other questions? Yes, sir. So something that comes to my mind, Cameron, and think about myself and my, and my children is that is uh, how we get our names. Our names. Yes. We don't choose our names. Our, our names are given to us. Yep. Mm. We don't, you know, wow. He, he names us, you know, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm. And well, we don't get to choose that name. Right. right. E- even if you're baptized as an, as an adult. Right. You don't, you don't get to choose your own name. Sure. Right. And you see that particularly in Scripture, the, the changing of names, like with, with uh, Abram to Abraham mm-hmm. and uh, with Sarah to Sarah. Uh, you know, that God changes their names and that name has something to do with their function in God's world. Um, so yeah, totally. That's God is the one who defines us. We don't define ourselves. So yeah, that's great. Well, um, I'm going to pray for us. Uh, anybody wants to hang around the water cooler and talk, happy to do so. Um, Father, thanks so much um, for your grace towards us. Thank you for the uh, stability that we have of being adopted children of God. And Lord, I, I pray first that you'd help us to um, keep our side of the street clean. Help us, Lord, to, to dig into and um, to dig into and repent from our false identities and to live in the freedom of being adopted children of God who are forgiven and righteous. And out of that, Lord, I pray you'd help us to just be good proclaimers of the gospel to our kids. Um, that we would help them to see that they're defined by your performance, not their own. Um, and that they are beloved uh, through your grace, uh, through what you've given them. And so have mercy on us. Ask the Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So, something cool I'm going on. We have a, there's like a little men's ski trip this week, and it's all about false identity. So it's going to be a bunch of dudes talking about our false identities and finding identity in Christ. So this goes across, across the board. So, go, peace, to love, and serve. audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.